smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, but now he's spoken by his son. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're continuing our series, Power is Perfected in Weakness. Matt Waldron will be speaking to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 to chapter 11, verse 15. Power is perfected in loyalty. Here's Matt. Imagine that uh, you hear the CEO of a large company uh, has uh, resigned. You've never met the guy, uh, but maybe you work for the large company or you have a friend who does, or maybe it's just in the news. And uh, uh, he's resigned at short notice uh, and... Uh, you know, you hear different versions of the story. He's, it's clear that he's gone, he's left the city and he's gone to live in the country somewhere quiet. Uh, and so you hear different theories, like he's had a mental breakdown, uh, the stress was all too much, he's just turned into a hippie. Uh, but the general vibe is, it's probably a bad thing. It's probably he wasn't strong enough for the position he was in. But it turns out the truth is, uh, his wife has been diagnosed with a debilitating terminal illness and he just wants to make the most of the time he's got with her. Sometimes uh, what people think is weakness is actually loyalty. That's the point of the Bible passage we're looking at today. Uh, it's uh, the part we had read for us, starting in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse uh, 8, 7, 7, through to chapter 11, verse 15. We'll see if we get that far. It's a pretty big chunk, but I, I want you just to see the big idea of the passage, which you see at the start of chapter 11. We'll walk through the whole thing in a second, but just let me give you the big picture, because it is a lot. Uh, chapter 11, verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunnings, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Or if someone is preaching to you, uh, uh, comes and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So the big idea, I think, is very clear. Paul is saying, I'm he's saying to these Corinthian Christians he's writing to, I'm concerned about your loyalty to me because I've set you up with Jesus, right? So he uses this image of a marriage, a marriage, <laughs> a marriage arranger, which was common back then, not very common in our culture, but he, he has set up this man and this woman to be committed to each other, to get married. They're not married yet, but they've made the commitment that they're going to get married. So they're engaged, but it's kind of more serious than engagement in our culture. And so if they're not, you know, responding to his phone calls about the wedding, he's not worried about his reputation as a wedding planner. He's worried about whether she's going to marry her fiancé. That's the image, right? So Paul's saying... Uh, he feels like the Corinthians are not being properly loyal to him, and he's not worried about himself, he's worried about their relationship with Jesus. So that's the big image, that's the big message, that's very straightforward. The, the issue 
in this passage, the thing that's difficult is figuring out what exactly is the problem and therefore what's really at stake. Uh, so, uh, he says to them that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's uh, cunning, I'm afraid your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere devotion to Christ. So, the first question is, have their minds been led astray from Christ? And Paul's trying to bring them back, or is he just worried that they're in danger? I'm going to suggest that they're just in danger. They haven't actually gone yet. But some people read this passage and think they've gone. So that's a question you want to be looking at in the text as I present what I think is the right answer. Uh, the other question is uh, uh, that the other people who are coming and preaching something else to them, when he says there are these other people coming and preaching to you, if, if you, someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, you, you put up with it easily enough. Does that mean that they're believing a different gospel message or they just put up with the message being preached? And I'm going to argue that they put up with the message being preached, they haven't believed a different message yet. And given that he says, you put up with it easily enough, it, it's reasonable to take that as they're believing it. That's not an unreasonable interpretation, but I think it's wrong. So, I'm going to show you what I think is going on in the passage and, and you need to be looking at God's Word and trying to figure out what's actually going on. So, let's pray and ask God to help us do that, okay? Heavenly Father, please help us as we read Your Word to understand what You are saying. Please help me to remember what I've prepared, uh, not because I'm, I'm necessarily right, but I pray You'd help me to uh, show people the issues so that You can work in us all by Your Spirit to hear what You're saying to us. Amen. All right, so today is going to be a radical departure from normal, my normal sermons because I'm preaching a two-point sermon, whereas normally I preach three-point sermons, so I hope you can all handle with that. I didn't say it was going to be shorter, just it was going to be arranged differently. Okay, so there's, there's two things. Uh, the rest of chapter 10, verses 7 to 18, Paul's arguing that his loyalty to Jesus requires him to be loyal to the Corinthian Christians. Paul's loyalty to Jesus requires loyalty to the Corinthians and in chapter 11 he's arguing that the Corinthians Christians' loyalty to Jesus requires loyalty to Paul. So, you see how that works. Paul's got to be loyal to the Christians because he's loyal to Jesus. The Corinthians need to be loyal to Paul if they're going to be loyal to Jesus. Let me just walk you through that. So, chapter 10, uh, verse 7, uh, uh, if you've got a diff so I've got uh, chapter 10 verse 7, you are judging by appearances. Um, uh, if you've got a different translation, it might say something like, you're not seeing what's in front of your face. It's a little hard to know exactly what he means there, but it's a rhetorical device that shows that he's pretty worked up. Uh, if anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So he sets the context for his whole argument. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, the big picture is being loyal to Jesus, what does that mean for us being loyal to each other? So, uh, verse 8, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up, rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. So, there's the issue. Jesus has given Paul authority in relation to the Corinthian church. Why did he get that authority? Well, it wasn't for Paul's benefit, it wasn't to, you know, tear down, the, it was for the benefit 
of the Corinthian church. So he's going to go on and say, that means if I'm loyal to Jesus who gave me the job, I've got to be loyal to the job he's given me. So look at verses 9 to 11, we looked at this briefly last week. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. So, as we saw last week, Paul says he's being gentle but firm with consistency. Why? Because his loyalty to Jesus and his gentleness means being loyal to the people Jesus has given him responsibility for. So, in contrast, there are these people who are accusing him of being weak. Look at verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So, there are some people who are trying to exercise Christian leadership, probably are exercising Christian leadership with relation to the Corinthian church, who are saying, well, look at me and compare me with this other teacher. So, you should listen to me because you can see the comparison between me and this other Christian teacher. That's the kind of thing they're doing. And Paul is saying, that's just the wrong way to think about Christian leadership, right? So, he says, I'm not going to play that game, but he is going to have to deal with them playing that game. Does that make sense? So, I think when Paul says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think he's being totally straight. He's saying, he's not saying, you know, they're so much better than me, I can't compare myself to them, and he's kind of saying it ironically. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's saying, that whole game is just foolish. I'm not daring to join in with that game. I think he's being dead straight with that. Uh, But what, what he does need to do is deal with these leaders who are making false claims. So, how does he do it? Well, look at verses 13 to 14. He's going to do some proper boasting. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God Himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the Gospel of Christ. So, what's his boast? God, what he's already said, God has appointed me as an apostle to you. God has given me a responsibility for you, right? I'm not asking you to look at how well I'm doing the job and compare it to how well other people are doing the job and decide who you like best, right? He's already had to have a tirade at them in 1 Corinthians about them doing that kind of stuff. And, and now he says, I'm not playing that game. But I will point out that God has given me a responsibility to you, Jesus has given me a apostleship to you and so as a matter of loyalty to him I must be loyal to you. How does he know that? How does he expect the Corinthians to know that? Look at verses 15 and 16. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let, sorry, verse 17, 18, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Okay, so what's he saying in all that? He's brought the gospel to the city of Corinth 
people have heard his preaching and have become Christians. And as he's taught them, they've grown in knowing Jesus. And in fact, what he's wanting is to keep doing that. To keep being involved in sharing the gospel with them at Corinth and to keep being involved in helping them grow in knowing Jesus. And so he says, he's not looking at what God has done through other people and saying, well, I should be allowed to be in charge of that. He's saying, you know what God did through me. He made you Christians. He's grown you as a church. So that shows that God has given Paul a responsibility for these people. The fact that God worked in their hearts as Paul preached. The fact that God has grown them in serving Jesus through Paul's teaching and coaching. That shows that God is using Paul to serve these people, to lead these people. And therefore, they should recognise that God wants to use Paul as their apostle and they should recognise his apostleship. He recognises he must be an apostle because God has used him as an apostle and therefore, out of loyalty to Jesus, he's got to keep being an apostle. So, uh, this is why, I mean, not in a, this is not a legalistic thing, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Right? Uh, I and a number of people here have been involved in starting this little local church 12 years ago, whatever it was, and God has worked. Some people have become Christians, people have grown as Christians, people have been gathered to be trained in serving Jesus. It's a fantastic privilege to be involved in that, isn't it? How could you say, well, these pe- God is using me to help these people, that doesn't mean anything to me. Wouldn't that be bizarre? Right? I feel an incredible loyalty to you. All right, we're looking to formalise our kind of uh, pastor leadership at the moment. Uh, you know, I think my, my understanding is you probably want me to be your pastor still. Uh, if, you, if you ask me to give you the job, I'm going to do it because I love you. I, I feel loyal to you. It's not a burden to want to be your pastor because I've had the tremendous privilege of seeing God work through me, through you, through each other and, and growing us up together. How could I not be loyal to Jesus in that? So as we see God working through us, being loyal to Jesus means having some degree of loyalty to the person. Perhaps you share the gospel with a friend and they become a Christian. Aren't you going to want to nurture and establish them as a Christian? Get them established in a church, right? If God works through you, you want to be loyal to the person. Maybe you, you know, share the gospel with someone and they're not, they're not ready to become a Christian, but they're interested. How lazy would you have to be not to offer to talk to them about it more? <laughs> if God's working through you, you're going to be loyal to that person and what God's doing through you. I mean, of course, if you share the gospel with someone and they're just not interested, they want nothing more to do with you, well, you don't owe them anything. Right? There's no evidence that God's done anything there. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't apply to people that you already owe something, you know. Uh, if you have children, then you owe them something because God's given you children, right? But, you know, you just meet someone out and about, a uh, person in your workplace, whatever, and you share the gospel with them and they just tell you they don't care, they don't want anything to do with you, well, you've done your bit. God hasn't done anything as far as you're aware. You don't owe them anything. 
Walk away, don't lose any sleep over it. How about I meet someone and they say, you know, after the usual pleasantries, so tell me about yourself. That's an open invitation of something, isn't it? I mean, if God has put that person in front of me, uh, something's going on there. Maybe loyalty to Jesus means making sure in describing myself, I include the fact that I'm a Christian. Maybe that's what it means. So, uh, Paul's saying loyalty to Jesus means that he's loyal to the Corinthians because essentially God has worked through him in the lives of the Corinthian Christians, in the lives of their church. So, the, the kind of opposite to that is that that means the Corinthians' loyalty to Jesus requires them to be loyal to Paul. So, we see this in uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 15. We're going to do less detailed explanation here because the big issue we need to figure out here is what kind of leadership we're talking about, right? Paul's calling for a very high level of loyalty from the Corinthians and what I want to suggest is that's not because he's their pastor or their church planter, though they require certain levels of loyalty, it's because he's their apostle. Have a look at chapter 11 verses 1 to 3 for me. So, here we have this big metaphor, I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. So, he's aware, he's kind of going a bit over the top, but he wants to drive it home. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure version to Him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, that verse sounds to me like he's saying there's a risk. It doesn't sound to me like he's saying they've left. Verse 4, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So, uh, that's, that's the verse that's really hard to know exactly how to take. Is he saying that they accept different gospels easily enough? Or they just preach different Gospels. Uh, uh, it seems to say clearly they're putting up with different preaching. It seems to say they've received a different spirit. Uh, the last one, he doesn't really say what they've done with this different Gospel, it's just different from one they've accepted. I think one of the striking things about this passage, and you can read the whole of 2 Corinthians to see this, Paul doesn't say what this different Gospel is. So, take for comparison, Galatians, he writes to them and says, you're in danger of accepting a different gospel. And that different gospel is, as well as Jesus, you need circumcision. And then he goes on to explain why Jesus gives them everything they think they're going to get from circumcision. And so, adding circumcision means they're not really trusting Jesus. And if you're not trusting Jesus, you are stuffed. So, don't get circumcised. Now, Paul uh, led Timothy to get circumcised, not because he thought he needed something from circumcision that Jesus couldn't do, but because 
Timothy was working amongst people who were going to be just distracted or offended about Timothy not being circumcised. So Paul said, look, just get circumcised so it's not a distraction and we can get on with telling people about Jesus. And Timothy went all in. If someone's willing to get circumcised, for cultural, you know, they're all in. Anyway, in 2 Corinthians, Paul doesn't mention another issue except for the one he's busy banging on about. Them accepting what are called super-apostles. Did you pick up that phrase? Let's read on a little bit further from verse, four, from verse 5. I do not think I'm in the least inferior to those super-apostles, air quotes. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. So, there are people in there who are either presenting themselves or being described as super-apostles. And what makes them super? Well, it seems like they're great speakers. Because Paul says, I might not be trained as a speaker, but I still know stuff. So the obvious interpretation is, there are these people who are great speakers. Uh, he goes on, we've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Now, just so we're really clear, he's not saying he literally robbed other churches, right? He says he received support from other churches so that the Corinthians wouldn't have to pay him. And if they're complaining about that, it's like, what are they saying? Are you saying we robbed? Are you saying that as a congregation we robbed these other people? No, that's, that's how missionary work usually works. Right? The Christians pay the missionary so they can go and share the gospel with people who aren't Christians yet. That's just how we normally do Christian mission. If the Corinthians are going to complain about that, what are they saying? <laughs> that, that's the, that's, he's kind of worked up, and understandably so. What? I'd like to tell you about Jesus, but you're going to need to pay me. Who's, who trains missionaries like that? Right, so, so Paul's going, what are you... But it seems there's some kind of implication that because he wasn't a good enough speaker to have like a fee to come and listen to him, he's not that great a speaker. Right, that's the vibe. Uh, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. So he brought other Christians with him so they could get jobs, so that Paul didn't need to, so they could make sure the church got a firm start without putting financial stresses on the baby church. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Notice he's not saying you don't have responsibilities as Christians. He's just spent two chapters, two chapters ago, asking them to give money generously to Christians in need in another part of the world. So he's not telling them just to be you know, consuming stuff and not serving, not giving, right at the end of chapter 10, when he's talking about expanding his work beyond them, he says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. So the idea is he wants them to grow so they can be partners in the mission continuing to expand. 
He wants them to give money to other missionaries, just not him. So he's not saying that, you know, their money's not good enough for him or that, you know, they're not godly enough or trained enough to do anything useful to God. He's just saying his role with them was as their apostle, as their founder, for other people to pay for his work to them. And then they get to, you know, pay it forward, to use a modern cliche. So, verse 12, I think we're up to. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. So, what do these other people want? They want to be considered equal with Paul. Some people are saying they're better than Paul because they're such good speakers. He doesn't say anything about the actual content of what they're preaching, only the context of their preaching. I guess it's possible that he doesn't know, that reports have come back that there are false teachers, but he hasn't been able to get any information about what it is. I suppose that's possible. I find it very unlikely that he knows what it is and he doesn't want to name the issue. Read the book of Galatians. He's not shy about naming issues. I think the issue is what he says it is. Look at verse 13. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as what? Masquerading as Christians? Masquerading as pastors? Masquerading as evangelists? No, no, no. Masquerading as apostles of Christ. So I think uh, the false gospel he's concerned about is you need Jesus plus impressive leaders. I think that's what he's talking about, the whole section. That's the false gospel. Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus plus impressive leaders. That's what Christianity is about. That's what will save you. That's what will build the church. Jesus plus impressive leaders. Is that a big problem? You bet it's a big problem. You're saying Jesus is not enough of a leader. Jesus is not an impressive enough leader. Jesus is not a powerful enough leader. Jesus' word is not powerful enough just coming from Jesus. He needs helpers. Not just helpers, because in His grace, He includes all of us in making disciples, but He needs impressive speakers, powerful speakers, super apostles. Verse 14, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So there are two ways of taking this conclusion. One is, well, if they're servants of Satan, they must be making, they must be preaching that Jesus wasn't God or he didn't raise from the dead. You know, they must be getting something in the gospel fundamentally wrong. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying leaders will be judged more severely. And if leaders present themselves, they get everything about Jesus right, but they say, well, obviously, as well as Jesus, you need me personally because I'm so awesome. That's really dangerous. That's really dangerous. 
That's the first step to starting a cult, in case you didn't know. Jesus in the Bible is not enough, you also need me personally. But wait a second, isn't that what Paul's saying? You also need him personally? Yeah, well, the thing is, he's an apostle. Jesus had especially commissioned him. So, you know, while he was on the earth, Jesus trained 12 ambassadors to see him, see his teaching, be with him, see him raised from the dead, so they could be his witnesses. Uh, Judas betrayed him, so he was out. So at the start of the book of Acts, the other 11 say, we're down one player. And what do they say? Well, we'll look for the most impressive speaker. We'll look for the person who has the most virtuous life. We'll look for the person who has the best degrees. We'll look for the person who has the charisma. No, no, no. They say we need someone who's been with Jesus from the start of his ministry and who's seen him raised from the dead. And there are two possibilities, so they let God pick between them. And then Paul comes along and Jesus has to appear to Paul in person because otherwise he can't be an apostle. Right? So Jesus appears to Paul in person and makes him an apostle. And why did Jesus do that? Well, there's a number of reasons, but for us, the, the basic idea is Jesus didn't write any books. Right? Who was going to do this for us? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Right? Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is, the, you know, the cornerstone was the one that you put first, which then sets everything else up. But he's not the whole foundation. He had to train and call and appoint apostles to see him, to learn from him, to see his resurrection. They had to appoint prophets, people to, to work with them. Paul's, T Timothy, Titus, right? The, the apostles all had co-workers who could come around and say to people, this is the authoritative message about Jesus. The apostles could say, we were there, we were with him, his whole ministry. We saw him raised from the dead. And so that they could continue after they're gone, they wrote it down. So for us, Paul is not, not saying, you should be loyal to me as your pastor. I mean, there's a bit of that, but that's not the point. The point is, you should be loyal to the Bible. Uh, just to put that a bit more directly... Uh, if you, we, we are in the process of formalising, you know, who's going to be the pastor and how it's going to work. If you decide you don't want me to be your pastor, I'm cool with that. I mean, I'll miss you all, <laughs> but I'm, I'm cool with that. Whatever we think is best for the kingdom of Jesus, I'm up for. But if you decide you don't want to follow the Bible anymore, I will take that personally, if that ever happens in this church. Well, that's what I think is going on in this passage. Uh, one quick digression, which I hope is an example of being loyal to Jesus means being loyal to the Bible. It means being loyal to the Apostle Paul, specifically. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the really the, the big issue in scholarship of two Corinthians, you know, when people go and make it their career to study the Bible in, you know, a seminary or whatever, which some people need to do, so that's good, but when you study the book of 2 Corinthians, the big question is, 
how do chapters 10 to 13 fit with chapters 1 to 9? Because when you get to chapter 10, it does seem like the tone changes dramatically. Uh, he's, he's saying that, you know, are you saying that I robbed other churches? Like he's really pumping it up hard. And he's just, in chapters uh, 8 and 9, uh, asked them to give money for poor Christians in another area. In chapters uh, 1 to 7, he's expressed his incredible confidence in them. So how does that all fit together? Well, if you think that he's uh, resorting to sarcasm uh, in chapter 10, which I don't think he is, I think he's being honest. If you think he's saying they've stopped being Christians and uh, that they've embraced a false gospel, that's very hard to reconcile with them him saying he's very confident in them and confident in their faith and confident in their loyalty to him. And so some people suggest uh, that uh, 2 Corinthians is actually two letters, Paul sent two letters and then the Corinthian church received them, you know, fairly close to each other and so then, I don't know, a generation later or whenever, they said for posterity we'll put these two together because they're really dealing with the same situation in our church or the same time period or something like that. That's not a crazy hypothesis because as well as the Bible being God's word, it's also human words, right? God inspired human beings to write it and he didn't do it by magic. He did it by the Holy Spirit, carrying them along, still using their gifts and personality and everything else. So, you know, that's not a crazy theory. Uh, but it does require a couple of things. It requires my interpretation of chapter 10 and 11 to be wrong, which is entirely possible. Uh, but I don't think he's saying, you've embraced a false gospel, but I don't know what it is or I'm not going to tell you. I think that's very unlikely. I think you're in danger of embracing a false gospel and that false gospel is Jesus plus awesome leadership, which is the issue he goes on about. Uh, the other thing it requires, it means that We've got this letter that's hard to see how it all fits together. The most likely explanation for that was the church or someone in leadership having an idea about that, but it being very hard to see what they were doing. When you get a document that sort of fits together, but feels like it doesn't fit very well, it's, probably, it's more likely that was an idea in the mind of the author. Right? The people who think most deeply about what they're trying to say are the people who you struggle to follow their argument. When people come along later and say, I'm going to put together a collection of letters, they're more likely, not being the author, to put the collection together in obvious ways. If, if, if it's hard to see how the collection fits together, it's more likely the author did it because they're the ones that were most deeply aware of what they were trying to do and the rest of us might have trouble following. So, that's an example of the fact that we need to respect Paul and say, well, Paul, we find some of the things that you say hard to understand. But you are our apostle, along with the other 12. And so, we're going to be loyal to you because Jesus has given you to us. 
So sometimes, what looks like weakness turns out to be loyalty. Uh, at uh, uh, a number of us were at uh, before this church at uh, Bull Creek Wesley Prezi, and uh, our pastor at the time was Steve Schuf. And uh, you can blame Steve Schuf for me planting a church, basically, because uh, Steve was very into church planting. And when I did my inter- so I finished Bible college, and when I did my internship at Bull Creek under Steve, he made sure that part of my job description was considering church planting. Thanks, Steve. Anyway, uh, I remember Steve telling me this story about a Bible study he led years ago. It was before I was at the church. Small group Bible study, I don't know what they called it. And Steve, who was a great preacher, made sure in Bible study, he knew his main job was to ask great questions. And he said, the funniest... So he had this Bible study for a number of years and he would you know, get the text out and they'd read it and he would ask them questions. And he said the funniest time was they had this new guy in the group. I can't remember if he was a Christian or not. I think he might have been a new guy in the group. And at some point, like a couple of weeks into him attending, he said, in, you know, he said, and it just burst out in front of everyone, you're supposed to be the leader. You're the one with all the questions. Shouldn't you know the answers? Why are you leading? <laughs> Oh, that still cracks me up. <sighs> right? It's not because Steve didn't know the answers. It's because he was loyal to the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. Uh, the Word made flesh to live a perfect life, so we know what that looks like, even to the point of dying for us, to save us from our sin, and raising Him to life, the start of the new world You're making, to reign for us now. And thank You for giving us the Bible, through a whole stack of different Old Testament prophets, apostles, New Testament prophets, so that we can hear you speak to us every time we open it. Thank you so much for living in a time and a place where the Bible is so easily available, a multitude of translations on the internet, on our phones. Father, please help us not to take it for granted. Please help us to be razor sharp, that loyalty to Jesus means loyalty to the Bible. Help us also to rejoice, to see you working by your Spirit, by your Word, and, and involving us in that, giving us opportunities to encourage and challenge each other, involving us in your work of sharing the Gospel with the world. Uh, please help us uh, to be looking out for what you're doing through us and be loyal to that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.